and welcome to episode two of The Politics Show. And today, of course, we are going to be talking about prime ministerial power in the age of Boris Johnson, who was elected as leader of the Conservative and Unionist Party today um, at the time of recording, just a few hours ago. And tomorrow, uh, that would be Wednesday, the 24th of July, uh, will become uh, Britain's 77th Prime Minister. And so we're going to look um, at this question of prime ministerial power and whether it has actually increased in recent years. Um, And we're going to constantly refer back to Boris Johnson and try and project forward uh, to see uh, what his premiership uh, may uh, lead us to conclude with regards to whether the prime minister is indeed a very powerful office or not. So... um, Let's just start with a few uh, basics. Um, If you are doing uh, A-level politics, um, you must remember that this is a paper two question. Therefore, you need to refer to uh, synoptic links, um, which come from um, paper one. um, And you need to do that to get uh, to level five. Um, Some examples of synoptic links to use are uh, referring to first past the post. Um, Electoral systems is a paper one topic um, and demonstrating how that might help a prime minister get a large majority, although of course in recent years that has not been the case. You can refer to party divides and when you're talking about um, recent prime ministers and Boris Johnson, party divides are going to be a big part of it, the divides between let's say One Nation cabinet members um, on the one hand um, and then sort of um, Thatcherite right-wingers, new right uh, politicians, particularly neoconservatives who want to leave the EU. So we can look at those party divides quite easily easily and effortlessly in an essay like this. So um, the other thing you must do as well is um, give specific uh, examples about a Prime Minister before 1997, so pre-Blair, and a Prime Minister after 1997. But um, I have to say it's it's going to be a very weak essay if uh, you can't uh, name or or write about, uh, you know, several uh, Prime Ministers. Um, I'm going to speak mainly about Boris Johnson today, but I will bring in other Prime Ministers as well. Now, Let's just remember what we do at the beginning of an essay as well. We need to define, discuss, direct. Um, The great Sarah Jenkins uh, gave us uh, advice on that in her book, um, Getting an A in A-Level Politics. Um, So it's DDD, define, discuss, direction. So in a question like this, how powerful is the UK Prime Minister? What are you going to define? Well, I don't forget to play around with words and and, and shape the definition in a way that will allow you to come back uh, to the words you use. So let's say the question is, um, evaluate the view that the Prime Minister dominates British politics. Well, then look at that word dominant. You you don't necessarily have to give a a, a dictionary definition of the word dominant, um, but you could um, sort of broaden the definition to suit you. You could say things like, to be dominant, prime ministers must be able to control the political system through the use of patronage, their ability to make decisions separate of parliament and utilise the tools at their disposal, including their majority, their party um, and their own personal appeal to the public. And if prime ministers cannot utilise these things, cannot use these things very effectively, then they cannot be seen as dominant. So that's the definition out of the way. 
let's think about what we're going to discuss. Now, I would consider perhaps three of the following five things. I would look at the Prime Minister's power of patronage. I would look at the use of the royal prerogative. I would use uh, their majority, and I would say probably majority is the most important uh, thing to look at, and I would use in every essay on, on prime ministerial power because it's so dependent upon it. I would look at their party, party extent of party unity, party divides, and I would look at their personality. And when it comes to Boris Johnson, I think this last one is, is really important too, because he is using his personal appeal um, to uh, project uh, himself uh, as, a, as an influential leader. So what is the direction? The direction is basically your view. You must have a view. Are prime ministers powerful or not? Um, my direction, it does not have to be yours, is this. The ability uh, of prime ministers to dominate has been curtailed in recent years. Now, any prime minister is beholden to a number of factors that affect their ability to dominate. My view is that Boris Johnson will have too many factors working against him than uh, for him in order to be a strong Prime Minister. And so in my view, uh, he will continue the trend, perhaps begun with Gordon Brown, um, and then leading on to David Cameron, Theresa May, of, of, of a, a, a withering of, of Prime Ministerial power. Now, let's look at the, the first area for discussion. I will look at several areas, but let's look at this first area of discussion. The power of patronage allows the Prime Minister to dominate. Now, what is patronage? It's basically the power to make appointments, and the most important appointments they can make are to their own cabinet. Now, the, the main component of this power is the ability to appoint not just the cabinet, but also the junior ministers. This is collectively, the cabinet and the junior ministers are called the so-called payroll, payroll vote. The payroll vote are those people uh, in the government that will always vote the way the Prime Minister wants them to. So by bringing those people into government, bringing those MPs into the cabinet, into junior ministerial roles, you are buying their loyalty through promotion. Now members of the cabinet owe their promotion to the Prime Minister and are bound by something called collective responsibility. And this is the convention that government ministers should all vote for and agree with policy in public. And if they cannot do that, then they must resign. And you're seeing already before um, Boris Johnson has even assumed office that um, members of Theresa May's cabinet are already resigning uh, in expectation that they could not support Boris Johnson's Brexit policy to leave uh, with or without a deal by the 31st of October 2019. Um, they could not support that. And so people like Philip ha Hammond are saying, look, don't expect to be in the cabinet of Boris Johnson, but even if he wanted me to be, I would not be, and I'm not going to wait to be pushed. I'm going to resign. So you can see right away that Boris Johnson's power of patronage could well be curtailed before he's even assumed office, um, simply for the fact that he won't have that many people to choose from. He's going to have to rely perhaps a little bit more on those Brexity Tory MPs rather than rely on lots of Remain MPs. So. The power of patronage should allow the Prime Minister to shape the ideological direction of the Cabinet, to reward supporters and to punish those they do not like. So Thatcher appointed so-called dries. These were new right Tories who agreed with her policies. 
Theresa May sat George Osborne's Chancellor, reportedly telling him to go away and learn some emotional intelligence. Until recently, the Prime Minister also appointed peers, and these are members of the House of Lords, yet they still still retain a lot of influence over who does get nominated for a peerage. So I think it is still part of that patronage power that is important. David Cameron, for example, appointed over 200 peers to the House of Lords in an attempt to boost his party's control, perhaps unsuccessfully because the House of Lords is still quite wayward. Um, But, um, nevertheless, the power of patronage is very significant. I've already alluded to some of the limits that Boris Johnson will face. Let's look at some other limits. So, the Prime Minister often has no choice but to appoint senior party members into the Cabinet, even if the PM disagrees with them on policy. So, Thatcher initially was forced to appointing the wets, so-called moderates who disagreed with her new right agenda. Now these people may be more dangerous as backbenchers so that you bring them in to bind them under collective responsibility. This is why Theresa May had to accept some of Cameron's modernisers such as Sajid Javid who had criticised the hostile environment policy spearheaded by Theresa May while she was Home Secretary. Rivals are equally irksome in government. Gordon Brown undermine Blair's leadership by having sympathetic politicians brief against number 10. Um, Alistair Darling had a good recession. Uh, He seemed competent and capable as a Chancellor, making it difficult uh, for Gordon Brown to replace him as Chancellor, even though Brown would have liked to. Now, the type of government also affects the leeway with patronage. So in coalition, David Cameron had to appoint several Liberal Democrats to the Cabinet as part of the coalition um, agreement. And we will see uh, that with with Boris Johnson, that people uh, in the cabinet will feel empowered by the fact that they are not just sort of one amongst many, many Tories, but they are one of just a few Tories who collectively hold the balance of power um, in um, Parliament. Um, But if just a few of them decided uh, to vote against the government, nothing would happen. So um, those cabinet ministers know that every vote, including their vote, is really important. Therefore, they, they will uh, you know, feel that they could use their power of resignation, if you like, as, as something to hold against the Prime Minister. And that is something that, that Boris Johnson will face uh, as, uh, you know, from day one. Um, you know, May, Theresa May had this problem, successive uh, um, resignations over many months, uh, meant that she just uh, lost her credibility amongst the backbenchers and she was grappling around to promote people um, uh, f- who would actually uh, tow the party line. Um, and her attempts to reshuffle unfavourable ministers seriously backfired in January 2018. Jeremy Hunt refused to move from his post um, as then health secretary and Justin Greening decided to quit rather than accept the offer to move from education secretary to work in pension secretary. So in a hung parliament, uh, when the governing party really doesn't have uh, much of a majority at all or, or non-existent majority relying on other parties as, the, as is the case with uh, the Conservatives at the moment, then those individual uh, cabinet members become very much empowered and so therefore the Prime Minister does not have the power to just reshuffle the way they they, they see fit. Um, So this perhaps is symbolic, that example of Jeremy Hunt refusing to move from his post is symbolic of, of limits to patronage in a minority government where ministers feel emboldened to push for what they want. And the breakdown of collective responsibility over Brexit, in part spearheaded by Johnson, who kept um, 
backstabbing Theresa May and criticising her checkers deal that she made uh, in um, 2018, or she proposed in 2018, um, made it difficult to sack ministers as well, um, because um, you had so many ministers uh, criticising various bits of the Brexit deal. So Boris Johnson was part of that. And who's to say that those people who were victims of his so-called backstabbing might not come back and and do the same thing they might decide to subtly criticize him in a bbc interview for example um so um when we've seen that with three cabinet ministers who back remain in the eu referendum um who threatened to quit if may refused to accept a no deal vote in parliament in march 29 at 19 amber rudd was one of those ministers who's to say that you know people like that won't carry on doing that with a with a bryce johnson premiership um so you know this point demonstrates the power that individual cabinet ministers have in a minority government compared to uh, you know, to the Prime Minister, who was forced to accept, you know, a parliamentary vote on, on Brexit, Theresa May was, and, and, and Boris Johnson's going to have to be forced to accept votes in Parliament too. You, the parliamentary arithmetic has not changed for him, um, unless he calls a general election and is wildly successful and gets in more Tory MPs who are loyal to him. The, the fundamental issues uh, remain you have this divisive issue of brexit you have a minority government and that's affecting his power of patronage it's affecting his ability to keep those he's promoted uh, being loyal carrying on being loyal in public um, now the prime minister is also expected to take account of diversity when it comes to patronage um, theresa may appointed many women to senior positions this power to appoint members of the house of lords as well as you know, you could argue is, has been largely taken over by an independent appointments commission um, as has the ability to appoint senior judges. Um, so when a PM appoints peers, it is expected as well that they will be awarded, uh, that, that other parties will also be awarded peerages. Um, so they cannot easily change the balance of, of power in the upper chamber to suit them. Um, and of course, they cannot appoint anyone uh, to the House of Commons because the House of Commons is elected. And, and as stated before, uh, the arithmetic doesn't add up with Boris Johnson, just as it does, does not for Theresa May. Now, the Prime Minister does have one power that allows them uh, to dominate in times of crisis. And this is the royal prerogative. Now, patronage is a part of that, but I think it's so important we have to deal with it separately. But the royal prerogative is essentially those powers that were once those of the monarch, um, and they've now passed the prime minister. In theory, the queen dissolves, that ends parliament for an election. But that dissolution was often made at the calling of the prime minister. More on that in a minute. Due to fixed-term elections, the Prime Minister can no longer call an election when they want to, as Thatcher did to capitalise on the Falklands factor. Yet, if they were to back an early election, which is what Theresa May did um, in 2017, it's highly unlikely that uh, their own MPs uh, would, would disagree with that and, and the opposition would not want to look weak. And so the Prime Minister you know, still has huge influence over when the next election will be called and they can try and call that to their advantage. Theresa May failed uh, to sort of uh, run a good campaign, um, but the, 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 you know, the fact that she did call an election, a lot of people thought that made good political sense because she was capitalising on the weakness of the Labour Party and it's what, some, it's what Boris Johnson is sorely tempted to do. Um, now, um, the Prime Minister 
is also the de facto commander in chief of the armed forces. In theory, they can declare war. However, Tony Blair allowed the Commons to vote on the Iraq war, setting the precedent for all future of conflicts. Yet, the Prime Minister retains extensive Commander-in-Chief powers and can move armed forces around the globe with little consultation. And as Boris Johnson comes into power, uh, we have a, a sort of emerging crisis in the Gulf with uh, Iran um, seizing a British ship. So there's a diplomatic crisis brewing there, and that will not be you know, subject to a debate or a vote in Parliament so much. It will be down to perhaps whoever will be uh, in the Foreign Office under a Johnson Premiership, but also mainly Johnson himself, how he wishes to tackle it. Does he wish to move more ships to the Gulf? Does he wish to uh, engage in you know, backroom diplomacy? Um, very much the Commander-in-Chief powers are bound up with Chief Diplomat powers uh, that the Prime Minister has, and it gives them significant leeway in how to approach uh, different situations. Um, for example, David Cameron sent the British Air Force to impose a no-fly fly zone over Libya before, not after, but before he held a vote in Parliament. And Theresa May authorised bombing of Syria in 2018, which appeared to weaken the president that Blair had set uh, on Iraq. So the Prime Minister also can sign treaties and enter into negotiations with other countries. Um, and that is really important for Boris Johnson because he can, if he wanted to, just simply say, I'm not going to bother uh, entering into negotiations with the EU. I, I'm just going to let the clock tick down. Um, I'm going to uh, just accept what is in law, which is that the UK will leave the EU uh, on October the 31st. I can do that. I don't have to do anything with the EU if I don't want to. So his blocking power, his ability to just simply not talk to people is as important as his power to talk to people around the world. Now, the Prime Minister has this because they are the chief diplomat um, and they are commander-in-chief. Now, the vote on Article 50 uh, gave the Prime Minister the authority to start negotiations with the EU on the, EU, on the UK's withdrawal from the EU. That's what this last three years has been about. And Boris Johnson plans to be different from uh, Theresa May. That is uh, his uh, right to do using the royal prerogative. He cannot be forced to talk to someone um, in Brussels if he does not want to take that call. And I think that is perhaps you know, his ace card, if you like. He feels that his ability to play hardball is something uh, that he will be able to bring to the table. And it shows that prime ministerial power is intact. However, the royal prerogative has been weakened in recent years. Like I said, Blair may have set a precedent, that's a new way of doing things, a precedent, by giving the Commons a vote on Iraq. Would any future Prime Minister dare to take the UK to war without a vote? I think it's very unlikely that the UK will go to war with Iran, and certainly not without a parliamentary vote under a Boris Premiership. Um, now, Theresa May's Syria action in 2018 did actually stop short of committing ground troops, and so arguably uh, the precedent Blair set on Iraq remains in place. Cameron allowed two votes on military action in Syria in 2013 and 2015. Now, the Fixed-Term Parliaments Act and the mistakes that May made in breaking the spirit of it by asking Parliament to back an early election might serve as a warning to future Prime Ministers that Parliaments be allowed to last the distance. And that the thing that is probably nagging in Boris Johnson's mind is, do I 
do I utilise this this bit of the royal prerogative? Okay, it's been taken away by the Fixed Term Parliament Act, but ultimately I am still able uh, to have huge influence over whether an election is going to be called. If I say there should be an election, that there's highly likely going to be an election. But given what happened last time, and given his lacklustre performance in the Conservative Party hustings and TV debates, will Boris Johnson really go for an early election? Or will he just simply allow the constraints of the Fixed Term Parliament Act uh, to uh, carry on? And, and I, I think that he may well do so, at least for another year. Um, partly because I'm not entirely sure how confident he is privately in beating uh, Jeremy Corbyn. The Supreme Court ruled as well in 2017 that Theresa May had to ask Parliament for permission to commence negotiations on Britain's EU withdrawal, asserting that parliamentary sovereignty was more important than the royal prerogative. So this ruling confirmed uh, that the the, the priority that parliamentary sovereignty has in our constitution and that that therefore relegates the prime minister's royal prerogative powers so all this talk of proroguing parliament that is basically to shut down parliament to end the parliamentary session wait for brexit to happen then, then open it up again uh, with the with the queen's speech um all this talk about that may well be subject to legal challenge because that that earlier case uh, on Article 50 appear to show where the Supreme Court's view was on this, that actually nothing can get in the way of, of, of Parliament, um, including a Prime Minister. Um, so I think that, that, that Boris Johnson will find it very difficult to close Parliament down. I could be wrong. Come back and listen to this podcast in a few months' time. We may have left uh, the EU. Uh, Boris Johnson may be wildly popular, he may call an election win with a huge majority, um, he, he, he may well have shut Parliament down in order to, to get his Brexit deal through, um, he may well be a very powerful Prime Minister in a, in a few years' time, and that, that ultimately is, is due to the fact that power does depend on a number of factors and those factors change, but I can't see all of that happening, all the stars aligning uh, at once. Um, we shall see. Now, let's also go on to another really important aspect this is the third point i want to talk about we've talked about patronage we've talked about the royal prerogative let's talk now um, about um, the majority that prime ministers usually command in parliament prime minister is the leader of the largest party in the house of commons they therefore have a much greater chance of having legislation passed Tony Blair did not suffer a single Commons defeat between 1997 and 2005. David Cameron suffered hardly any Commons defeats in 2014-15. And in 2014-15, the government got 100% of its legislation through Parliament, despite the existence of a coalition government. That shows you the Prime Ministers usually get their way. Theresa May has signed a confidence and supply agreement with the DUP so that even with a minority government, her party can win key votes in Parliament. Witness how she comfortably survived a vote of confidence in January 2019. And so there is the expectation that even though with the DUP, the Conservatives' grip on Parliament has, has, has shrunk due to by-elections and to, to defections um, by moderate conservatives to form the Change UK group. Um, even with all of that, it is still 
probably unlikely that a Johnson premiership will come to an end with a vote of confidence. Um, it is it's probably more likely um, that um, he will lose the general election through him calling it himself. Um, so <clears throat> that is the that is the the issue. However, let's not overstate the fact that if you don't have a majority, you don't have much power. Um, you know that is so so important. Um, now I did say that even in a minority government, you can still get things done, but you know you can't get that much done. Um, and majorities have been hard to come by of late, hindering the chance to dominate. If Boris Johnson was to call a general election, I don't see where he gets a huge majority. Um, the SNP is still pretty strong in Scotland, um, and Brexit is going to probably make them stronger. Um, if you look uh, in the cities, the Conservatives are not popular in the cities, particularly London. The, 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 the city that, that Boris used to run has really turned against him. So if you take the cities away from the Tories, if you take Scotland away from the Tories, then it's very difficult to see them getting a majority. So even a Boris Johnson general election where he gets a small majority, it's still going to be one that's, that's a pretty uh, ramshackle coalition of moderate Tories and, and hardline Brexity Tories. Um, and we see the difficulty is really, really that with, with majorities really began in 2005 when Blair's Commons majority was halved. And as a result, he lost, lost his first Commons vote, and that was on detaining terror suspects for 90 days in 2006. And Brown faced backbench rebellions on scrapping the 10p rate of tax and on holding terror suspects for up to 42 days. Cameron faced difficult votes every week as his party had no overall majority in the House of Commons between 2010 and 2015. Now, the, the statistic I gave you about 2014-2015, um, you know, that, that, that sort of masks something. Yes, 100% of votes got passed, but how many votes got pulled? How many votes didn't happen because they expected to lose them? And that's what happens when you have a majority. And with a small Commons majority after 2015, the Tories lost a vote on loosening Sunday trading laws in March 2016. Um, now, following the 2017 general election result, May was unable to include much of note in the Queen's speech with changes to health and social care, dubbed the dementia tax, just quickly ditched even though it was a centrepiece of uh, the Tory manifesto in the 2017 general election. So when the majority is small or non-existent, a Prime Minister is likely to be more restrained in what they bring to Parliament for fear of losing. And this is why Theresa May kicked the can down the road as much as possible on offering the House of Commons a meaningful vote on Brexit. And when it did happen, uh, she lost uh, by quite a considerable margin, one vote by 230 votes, the biggest parliamentary defeat in history when she brought her Brexit deal to Parliament in January 2019. And in fact, uh, between June 2017 and March 2019, May's minority government had lost 17 Brexit-related votes in Parliament. Um, and again, those, that parliamentary arithmetic is the same for Boris Johnson. Um, and so he is going to you know, face you know, awkward backbench MPs, um, probably more of a problem uh, from the, the Remain side uh, than the Leave side, whereas perhaps Theresa May faced problems well, from both sides, particularly the, the Leave side of that argument. So the Prime Minister can usually you know, count on the support of their party, though, you, even if you have a small majority. This is the fourth 
sort of area here, they can usually count on the support of their party. The Prime Minister, uh, uh, for example, Prime Minister Brown, despite his unpopularity, didn't face um, a leadership contest. Uh, David Cameron managed to hold his party together despite their misgivings that they had about working with the Liberal Democrats. Um, and actually, despite the Remain Leave divide in the Tory party prior to the Brexit referendum, only one Tory MP, Ken Clark, voted against triggering Article 50, which shows the extent of, of unity was pretty strong up to sort of even just you know a couple of years ago, maybe you know post-2017 general election. That's when party unity really began to break down. But that is what Boris Johnson is walking into. He's walking into this post-2017 general election world uh, where um, rebelling seems to be uh, something that is normal now. Um, and the governing party is seldom united. Um, the Tories effectively removed Thatcher when she faced a leadership contest that, after the first round of counting, indicated a lack of support amongst Tory bank benches. Major John Major faced a leadership contest from John Redwood and Eurosceptic um, uh, MPs, um, and the party you know, it was almost defeated uh, over Maastricht. Um, Blair became unpopular within his party, especially after Iraq. Brown um, had many, uh, had very few MPs, sorry, willing to openly challenge him for the leadership, but equally very few were willing to energetically defend him. The only reason Brown remained PM until the 2010 general election was because many of the so-called plotters, the people who wanted to get use, rid of him, people like David Miliband, were actually useless at coordinating a coup against him. Now, Cameron's call for a referendum on Britain's EU membership that stemmed in large part um, to the Eurosceptic right wing of the Tory party. He needed to offer them something to keep them quiet, to keep them loyal in coalition. That demonstrates that actually party divides really do influence your political career as a prime minister because what did David Cameron resign over? He resigned over that EU referendum that he himself called. Um, and Theresa May, of course, had to accept that she would step down as Prime Minister after the Brexit process is completed and before the 2022 general election, which was a, a price she had to pay for surviving a motion of no confidence um, um, amongst her own party um, in December 2018, her own party MPs, that is. So it's still that well over 100 backbenchers voted against her in that December 2018 confidence vote. That demonstrates that she was weak, and she was weak because her party was divided and willing to publicly denounce her. What is to say that Boris Johnson will fare any better? The Prime Minister's personal qualities, though, may bolster their power and their ability to dominate. Um, and this perhaps is where Johnson thinks that he has got something that Theresa May does not. Um, Britain's politics has become more candidate-centred. Tony Blair's image was used by the Labour Party in 1997 and 2001 to promote its manifesto. And the Conservatives as a group were far less popular than David Cameron in 2010, and they used his personal appeal instead to win votes. And the same was true again in 2015. The Tories were seen as quite unpopular, but David Cameron was, was seen as, as less unpopular, shall we say, than the other leaders. And so that was used to good effect, and the Tories won a slim majority. 
Prior to calling the 2017 election, Theresa May gave an air of authority and gravitas, especially in contrast to opposition leader Jeremy Corbyn. More on that in a minute. But Boris Johnson has this air of someone who's a bit of a laugh, someone you can have a point with, uh, someone who is a bit odd, makes it up as he goes along, but a little bit lovable. Maybe that will help him going forward. It certainly helped him uh, win two thirds, over two thirds of uh, the Tory membership um, in the leadership contest that he's just won against Jeremy Hunt. However, some prime ministers lack the capacity or personal qualities needed uh, for dominance. Major was seen as dull, Thatcher as bloody-minded. Brown seemed incapable of presenting a clear vision, and his failure to call an election in 2007 led to charges that he was a ditherer. Cameron was seen as, as lacking in gravitas on the international stage. Obama was apparently not impressed when he first met Cameron and recently criticised him for becoming distracted after the bombing of Libya and not seeing the reconstruction process through. Theresa May is seen as cold and aloof and as someone who is not willing to listen to many voices outside of her inner circle of advisers that were with her when she was Home Secretary and she took into number 10. She appeared to lack empathy when she did not meet residents of Grenfell Tower after the building caught fire in June 2017. And of course the image of her as a Maybot has continued to linger um, well after the 2017 general election. And Boris Johnson is seen as someone who is untrustworthy, um, whether that's because of issues in his private life, whether that's because when as a journalist he simply made up stories about the EU that weren't true, uh, whether that is because he was, was uh, filmed, uh, recorded as uh, suggesting to someone that they should go and beat up a journalist, uh, whether that is because um, he uh, seemed to uh, really let down um, David Cameron, someone he went to school with, um, over you know, coming out in favour of the Leave campaign after having written um, a, a, a draft letter, a draft opinion piece on staying in the EU, so sort of flip-flopping and changing his mind. Someone who can't quite be trusted, can't quite be pinned down. And that might work in his favour when it comes to negotiations, if he's a bit slippery, if he's not too uh, rigid, which is what people criticise Theresa May for. But it also may well affect his image as someone who is authentic and um, that may be a problem for him. I, looking at the, the leadership debate that he took part in, the, the, the two that he took part in, um, one was just a head-to-head -head with Jeremy Hunt, he really didn't do very well um, and it suggests to me that he is not as good a campaigner uh, as you think. And, so that, that, that may well come back uh, to haunt him as well. So, just to round up, the trend between 1945 and 2010 was probably towards increasing prime ministerial power, and Rose uh, speaks of how prime ministerial power has increased over time. There are old school prime ministers like Churchill and Attlee, traditional prime ministers like Wilson and Heath, and new style prime ministers, more recent prime ministers like Blair and Thatcher. 
and the new style prime ministers were the ones who courted the media, spent less time in the House of Commons, held fewer cabinet meetings, sidelined their cabinets, took advice advice instead uh, from uh, people they appointed rather than uh, MPs. Um, And uh, Blair, for example, would use bilaterals or sofa politics, have one-to-one meetings with ministers to thrash out any problems rather than have a debate in the whole cabinet. Policy was, was was plunged from above. Some people call it this the cafetiere theory. However, um, that is not the end of the story. Each prime minister is different and arguably the trend is more of a wavy line rather than a straight line. Hennessy writes that each prime minister is different. There are weather makers, those who change the country's direction. For example, Thatcher privatised industry. Uh, There are also people who are nation shifters, those who change the way that the government operates. Blair introduced widespread devolution. There are people who just cope with a job, people who just get by day to day, um, who try to manage all the divides in Cabinet, and that's probably Cameron in the coalition era, and Callaghan um, when Labour had a very uh, slim majority um, after the 1974 election, when he took over in 1976 from Wilson. There were people who don't fulfil their promises, like Harold Wilson, who promised a classless society. And there are those who just appear overwhelmed and you know, Major, Brown and probably Theresa May fall into that category. It's very difficult to know where you would place um, Boris Johnson. Um, He could well be uh, um, a weather maker in the sense that he will just let Brexit happen uh, in in the most brutal way possible as a hard Brexit. Um, uh, But whether he will then be able to win an election off the back of the economic turmoil that could result um, is another matter entirely. So um, what is the conclusion? Prime ministerial power changes over time and depends on a number uh, of factors. There are events, the failure to find weapons of mass destruction in Iraq weakened Blair, Brexit has consumed Theresa May, um, and it will consume Boris Johnson. And if we look at Theresa May, because we've got three years of evidence, she wanted to spend time on the so-called burning injustices that she mentioned on her first day in the job and in her last few days in the job, she was grappling around trying to find evidence that she had done anything about those burning injustices. The majority, of course, matters hugely. Major barely enjoyed one. Thatcher enjoyed large ones. Cameron had a very slim majority in 2015 to 2016. Um, and May scuppered even that by calling a snap election, which is something that Boris inherits. Other members of the the cabinet uh, will uh, weaken you or strengthen you. Major was was weakened by the so-called bastards, the the Eurosceptics in his cabinet. Um, Blair was weakened by Brown. Uh, Cameron uh, was weakened by the Liberal Democrats. He had to ditch some of his policies, um, like on scrapping the Human Rights Act. Um, Now, May had had a good relationship with her Chancellor Philip Hammond and that relationship is really critical 
um, but um, they appear to clash over rises to national insurance contributions and um, they fell out largely because when asked will he be your chancellor um, after the general election when they were standing on a podium together she did not say yes um, which obviously annoyed him um, so that's a problem. The length of service is an issue too, and it's not been an issue recently because prime ministers haven't lasted that long. But but if you have a prime minister that lasts a long time, like Blair or Thatcher, people get bored. Um, and arguably, people got bored of Theresa May saying the same thing again and again and again. And maybe that has meant that, that, that the Tory party membership, at least, wanted someone a bit more exciting. And Boris Johnson is certainly that. Um, you know, every day will be interesting, whereas you couldn't say that about Theresa May. So that could possibly work in his favour. What is he going to say next? A bit like Trump. Um, and then there's economic factors. Now, Blair had money to spend. Um, Black Wednesday damage major. That shows you that one, one prime minister there was able to do quite a lot, invest in public services and the rest. The other prime minister, his reputation was damaged fairly shortly after becoming prime minister, or winning the 1992 general election anyway. Um, but a lack of money can also provide opportunities. I think Cameron uh, used the budget deficit to squeeze through right-wing welfare reforms. And whatever you think about those, Cameron can point to a body of work. He can point to uh, cuts in public services and shrinking the state, which is something he would say is a good thing. Others would say it's a not a good thing. Um, so economics plays a huge role. But if you have a crash on your watch, like Gordon Brown, you're in trouble. And this is where I think Boris Johnson, again, is going to uh, have difficulty because the economy has been growing for some years now. Now, not everyone has been sharing in the wealth. Um, it's a very uneven economy for sure. But in economic parlance, we're probably due a recession. Now, if you factor in a hard Brexit, that could well be a very, very severe recession. And Boris Johnson, arguably as the architect of Brexit by coming onto the Leave side, um, could well own everything about Brexit, all the negative stuff, if it is really bad. Now, equally, if nothing bad happens, he can say, look, I told you, we can do it. But very few economists are willing to say that nothing bad will happen. So he owns uh, any economic problems, any social breakdown to do with Brexit. So. I feel that he is coming into office as one of the weakest prime ministers ever to have assumed that post. Now, what he makes of it, time will tell. Uh, but things are not looking great uh, for Boris Johnson as he assumes office. So I hope you enjoyed listening to that. It was a bit of a long one. Um, and if you're still here, uh, do come back and listen to episode three. Uh, I did say that the episode we would talk about uh, in episode two would be uh, uh, socialism uh, but because Boris has become prime minister we've kind of replaced that so we, we're going to be a little bit fluid with the topics that we discuss I hope you enjoyed this one and we'll see you next time for episode three I won't tell you what it is just in case something else happens it will probably be socialism but who knows thank you very much goodbye <laughs>